0: we're not a, we're not a clinic that just, you know, needles people or, um, you know, does some other passive type stuff. We, you know, we try to one, create, get a really good understanding of who our patient is because at the end of the day, you know, it's not just a neck that we're treating, it's a person that we're treating, right? So we need to be able to build a relationship with that person, understand that person, understand their background and where they're coming from as best as we can
1: This is Strength in the Details, a podcast that goes beyond the classic debate on reps, sets, and exercise programming, and focuses on aligning what matters most in your training, nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle. I'm your host, Dr. Anaja Newsome, founder of Optimized Strength. I'm a PhD with a focus in the exercise and health sciences, a coach, and weightlifting athlete. With more than a decade of professional experience in sport and fitness, I truly believe that the impact of mental skills, motivation, and self-efficacy are often overlooked and underappreciated in exercise behavior change, sport performance preparation, and everyday coaching practices. You deserve to feel strong in the gym and beyond. And on this podcast, we dive in to the mental aspects of exercise, training, and sport performance. So join me as I invite industry experts, elite athletes, and coaches, and researchers to a conversation about the gritty details. If you have been an athlete for any period of time and you have not sustained a minor or more serious injury, consider yourself lucky and count your blessings. Injury is a part of sport, but some injuries can be prevented and others could be rehabbed quicker with the proper support. On today's episode, I sit down with Dr. Greg Fry, a board-certified sports physical therapist and the owner of Premier Performance and Physical Therapy in Orlando, Florida. I found Premier Performance when I was suffering with a pretty nasty neck injury. Dr. Greg and his team stand out for their personalized approach to physical therapy, prioritizing individual care plans, and focusing on long-term relief. Greg works with many different types of individuals, but if you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely considering yourself an athlete, and that is his specialty. In this episode, we talk about a range of issues from the causes of some common injuries that strength and weightlifting athletes might experience, ways to manage those injuries, and his approach to getting people moving as soon and as often as possible. As an athlete, when I went to see Dr. Gregg, his goal was to get a barbell back in my hand as quickly and as safely as possible without sacrificing my long-term health. Learn more about his approach in this episode. I cannot wait to share it with you. Let's dive right in. Welcome back to another episode of Strength in the Details. I am your host, Anaja Newsome, and I'm here with Dr. Greg Fry from Premier Performance Physical Therapy. How are you today?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thanks for being here. I'm really excited to chat with you, not about um those Florida Gators, but about things <laughs> that matter.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah, of course. We can talk about Florida Gators later and you know how we're a superior school LSU, but that, you know, that that's a whole nother topic.
1: I think that I have that thing scheduled, and so I don't know that we're going yeah.
0: to get <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for being here. I'm ready. I'm really excited to get into this. Um, let's start just by telling us about yourself and your background in sport and exercise.
0: Sure. So um, like most, I was you know, a pretty decent athlete growing up. Um, I found out I was probably better at, at running cross country and track more so than other stuff. So I ended up doing that, went to the University of Florida, um, got a bachelor's in applied physiology and kinesiology there. Um, while I was there, I did a bunch of things, but uh, probably the biggest thing was, you know, I became a, a strength coach there. So I got to, um, you know, work with a lot of athletes over there. Uh, I worked in the research lab. I became a cross-country coach. Um, so I did a lot of, you know, different avenues as far as coaching, as far as training, as far as working out myself. Um, after that went to get my doctorate at university of Florida as well. Um, and then kind of been all over since then, but, you know, recently the last two years settled down back in Florida and started my own practice and things have been going very, very good. So, um, you know, my doctorate in physical therapy, I'm a board certified sports clinical specialist by the APTA and, um, have a Orlando based physical therapy clinic where we work with athletes, mostly athletes, but. A little bit of Gen Pop and Medicare and stuff like that as well. Um, I have two other therapists working for me and it's been a lot of fun.
1: What, how did you decide that physical therapy was the route as opposed to, you know, strength and conditioning or coaching? Like what made you go kind of the more clinical route?
0: You know, I didn't know what physical therapy was growing up. I was never really hurt. So, you know, most people who become therapists, they, you know, generally have an injury growing up, they tear their ACL and then they get therapy and, you know, it, it changed potentially their life as far as, you know, working out again and being able to play their sport again. That's how they get into physical therapy. I was never hurt. I was lucky. And so I always thought I was going to be a physician. Um, you know, I went into, went into school and I thought, OK, I'll be a cardiologist because I had some weird blood pressure issues when I was a little bit younger. So I thought I'll be a, you know, a cardiologist and this is what I'm going to do. And then I spent some time shadowing and, and hanging out and, you know, physician offices. And I, I just hate every second of it. You know, yeah. um, I didn't necessarily, you know, love, you know, prescription drugs or the, the, issue you know, the main thing to help people. I didn't necessarily care for spending five minutes with patients and stuff like that. So when I was a junior at Florida I had to figure out, okay, you know, I'm not going to be a physician. This is awful. Like, what am I, what am I going to do? So, um, You know, I thought physical therapy was for, I don't know, like old people and like, you know, people who had strokes, like teaching them to walk again and, you know, people with spinal cord injuries or whatever the case was. I didn't really know the whole sports side of it. So I was lucky enough to find a clinic that would let me observe. And to be completely honest, it was probably a little bit of a sketchy clinic because they allowed their students to do a lot. And so like my first day I'm doing like red light therapy on someone's plantar fasciitis. And I'm like, Oh, this is cool. Like I actually get to spend time with people, you know, through exercise I'm actually able to help people get better and get healthy. And, and then that's what really drew me to it. So, um, you know, from there and going through school and figuring out the sports stuff is more what I wanted to do and kind of just, you know, went with it.
1: I think that's one of the things that, um, really attracted me to your office. Um, I came in in kind of an acute, like emergency, somebody please fix me. But one of the things that I really like enjoyed was that it wasn't about like just fixing a problem. It was about addressing why the problem was even happening. And, and, and I think that was really important to me as an athlete with like a really high level of athletic identity. Do you think that your background in sport contributed to, how you've differentiated your practice um, from, you know, that kind of maybe general, you know, teach people how to walk and rehab focus?
0: Yeah, maybe. I think, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily me growing up playing sports and running and stuff like that. I think it was more, you know, to be honest with you, I think it was more, you know, doing the whole personal training strength coach thing is what is what helped me, right? So, you know, I had a decent strength background going into school and, you know, I knew kind of how to work with people and I knew, you know, generally I had a decent idea of movement patterns and, and you know, how to lift and, you know, what to lift the right way. But then, you know, breaking down, you know, my, my physical therapy knowledge and looking at history and looking at habits and looking at everything that someone does to make an injury happen, you know, I knew I could rely on these strength principles that I already had which then allowed me, I think, to be, you know, a better therapist and, and ultimately, you know, help people and help people, you know, hopefully for good, you know, that's my goal is, you know, we're not a, we're not a clinic that just, you know, needles people or, um, you know, does some other passive type stuff. We, you know, we try to one create, get a really good understanding of who our patient is because at the end of the day, you know, it's not just a neck that we're treating. It's a person that we're treating. Right. So, We need to be able to build a relationship with that person, understand that person, understand their background and where they're coming from as best as we can, but then also treat the neck in that. And if you get a full picture of the person, it makes it much, much easier to really treat them and create long-term benefit and long-term relief.
1: How do you think that the common misconception around physical therapy is different? um, And, you know, in what ways can it support sports? performance and athletes in general. Could you kind of talk about like the differences maybe in the sectors of physical therapy, if that's what you want to call them?
0: Yeah. So like like let's take they're come about like more like conventional clinics. Is that kind of where yeah. you're going? Yeah. So, you know, and there's nothing wrong with conventional clinics. They have they have their purpose for a certain, you know, patient population. You know, we're not like that. So we, you know, we generally we see people for a full hour and you know, we have to see someone full full hour not that they need full one hour of treatment, but more so from a therapist standpoint of, of understanding that patient we're working with. Right. So every minute that we get to see them is a bit helps us better understand how to best fix them. Right. So in a conventional model, you know, you got multiple patients at the same time. Um, You know, it's generally a lot of your care is dictated by insurance based off what kind of insurances you have because generally, and this is very general, but because a A clinic has seen somewhat multiple people at the same time they then have to see multiple times a week to kind of make up for you know not spending as much time with you right which we don't you know we say see people once a week sometimes twice a week if it's if it's something real crazy it'll be three times um but really that conventional model of you know laying on a table with you know a bunch of old people and doing some leg raises and you know doing some kickouts and stuff like that it's you know it has its role for sure but it's it's you know, in my opinion, it's not necessarily ideal. And, and I think all these therapists that that work at conventional clinics, again, there's nothing wrong with it, but they, you know, a lot of their care is dictated by, you know, the corporation that they work for, or, you know, whoever their manager is and productivity standards and, and, and you know, insurance, as far as preauthorization, there's so much that goes into it that makes them have to treat that way. I don't think most want to treat that way. You know, we're lucky enough here that, you know, the way our business is set up, we don't have to treat that way. And I think we get people generally better, better, quicker.
1: Okay. How, how, who is your, I guess, ideal population that you would say you primarily work with?
0: Um, you know, it's, it's, it's athletes of any kind. You know, because I was a runner, I do enjoy working with runners because they're, they're generally a little bit fanatics, and, and I enjoy that, right? So if they're fanatic about their running, they're also fanatic about getting better. So it makes it makes me look better as a therapist because they just listen to every word you say, and they get better pretty quick. Um, you know, it's really any athletes. I do enjoy, like, that, the college athlete level. I think, you know, if you're competing in any type of collegiates, whether it's D1, to NAIA, I think you have to have quite a bit of determination in what you're doing, quite a bit of motivation. And I think for a lot of these people, you know, sport is a way for them to get their education. So they want to do everything they can to be able to compete at their sport Mm -hmm. as best as they can, as long as they can, whatever the case is. So probably that, And it doesn't even matter what sport, realistically, it can be, it can be baseball, it can be soccer, it can be football, it, you know, really it's more about the person themselves necessary, not necessarily the type of sport or the type of athlete.
1: What are some like common injuries that you see? And I'll and most of my listeners, just so you have like kind of a background, are are mm-hmm. weightlifters, powerlifters, strength athletes, barbell athletes? Sure. Some crossfitters. Um, but in general, like what are some of the more common injuries that you see in sport for like weightlifting and strength athletes? And then what are some recommendations that you have for athletes to help maybe reduce or minimize some of these occurrences?
0: Yeah. So, you know, in the, in the barbell sports, you know, any type of lifting type sports, you know, generally low backs is, is predominantly the one we see, um, you know, people will blow out a bag, you know, deadlift and heavy or, or, you know, maybe they're, they're pushing their sets and reps just a little bit too much on that day considering their recovery. Um, so usually low backs, whether it's the strain, whether it's a disc, whether it's, you know, a set or whatever the case is, um, you know, from a upper standpoint, probably in more so in the Olympic weightlifters, probably more shoulder type stuff. Like, you know, I see quite a bit of labrums, um, you know, you know, when you catch, you know, it, it's a lot of strain. And if, you, if you're, again, if your recovery is not great or whatever the case is, you can wind up having some issues. So um as far as you know preventing that type of stuff it just depends you know everyone's so unique and so different you know if we know anything about pain it's 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 not necessarily a true mechanical reason for pain there's so much that goes into it as far as a person and and how they deal with stress and how they deal with pain and you know what kind of things affect them right so you know for i would say like best way to prevent this stuff is you know create a relationship with some type of sports-based PT or sports-based Cairo or whatever you know what you prefer so that you have a baseline of 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 what where you're at within your training where you're at as far as your strength and some different things because it's hard to treat yourself and a lot of athletes who are barbell athletes you know they're they're smart and they're almost too smart but it's always good to have outside eyes look at it because this could be something, you know, that you're missing.
1: Yeah. What is the difference between a physical therapist and a Cairo? Cause you just brought that up and I, I know that there is sure. a difference, but what is that difference?
0: Yeah. And I, I probably won't explain it as elegantly as some, but um, you know, generally if you look at very, very broad terms, you know, physical therapists are, they're trained to teach you how to get back function or teach you, how to um, improve your quality of life as far as, you know, activities of daily living, stuff like that. Um, you know, chiros are generally obviously more spinal um, okay. focused, right? You know, they, I, to my understanding, they believe, you know, most of the root problems are coming from the spine in some capacity. And then, you know, if you got any extremity issues, it's, it's likely leading from some sort of, you know, spinal derangement that's causing those issues. So it's a little bit different philosophy. It's, you know, they generally, they share a lot of the same patients. It's, it's a personal preference upon that patient, what what they prefer, right? I know really, really, really good chiros. I know some awful chiros. I know great therapists. I know some awful therapists, right? So, you know, it, there's some good chiros out there, some good therapists out there. It's just finding what works for you.
1: Okay. I appreciate that um in general the field of rehab and i was i've kind of been reading a lot about you know physical therapy and more so for like oncology and um patients with chronic chronic illnesses. And one of the things that I've kind of been seeing as a theme in rehab sciences is this idea of like moving from more of a reactive model to a preventative model when it comes mm-hmm. to like strength and physical function and um, activities of daily living, because there's this, there's this idea that usually injury is the result of like an in in um inefficient baseline, if you will, of physical function. Sure. And most of the time in rehab sciences, we're trying to return them back to baseline. But now there's this, mm-hmm. I guess, growing idea of moving from just returning to baseline to actually improving the baseline. Could you like share your thoughts on that, that, I guess, form formula, if you will?
0: Sure. So I think it's a great formula. I think it's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, when you're dealing with, with, you know, outside the research world when you're dealing a little bit more clinically, I think there are a lot of things that could potentially prevent that from happening. If you're looking, you know, traditional therapy sense or, you know, traditional model therapy, I mean, the insurances are going to limit that, right? You know, so, you know, if someone is, you know, has a copay of $30 or whatever the case is, and then, you know, eventually, you know, the insurance cares about getting you back to baseline. So until the insurance model changes I think there's not going to be a lot of change in the physical therapy world realistically because you know to be honest with you, they don't care mm-hmm. at least as of right now at least how I understand it and that's what you know that's partially why we have the business model that we have here is so we can you know we're out a network and sure we deal some insurance stuff but you know a good 30 40 percent of our people pay out of pocket and because they pay out of pocket we're able to work on more of that preventative stuff. That's where healthcare should go. I mean, it makes the most sense, you know, from a money standpoint to, to really, you know, longevity standpoint. Um, You know, I just don't think it's, unfortunately, I wish it was more realistic. I just don't think it's super realistic, just where we're at in the state of physical therapy.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think that that, you know, to your point has an impact on Athletes and athletes taking care of themselves because mm-hmm. now, you know, and what I see in, in my for my coaching lens is that an athlete will have an issue and they'll self-diagnose or you mm-hmm. know they'll you know take a week off, but then you know just jump right back in without actually addressing, you know, the issues. What would you recommend to an athlete for you know who has to make that decision? Maybe they don't have insurance or their insurance, you know, won't facilitate them going to see um, a physical therapist without a referral, for instance. So now Mm -hmm. they have to, you know, go get a specialist or primary care referral. Um, how can, how can an athlete really judge, you know, when they need to go and, and see someone Mm -hmm. versus when they may can, you know, stretch it out a little bit, if you will.
0: Sure. Yeah. I think, um, and again, it's going to be a lame answer, but it depends. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it, Depends on the injury, depends on the body part, depends on how long it's been going on, depends if it's been a baseline issue for for years and then just more of an exacerbation of a baseline issue. Um, you know, I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of bad information. As you know, we talked about this many times, there's a lot of bad health information out there on social media that a lot of people will follow. And, you know, I think people generally, if if for whatever the reason, they can't get in with, you know, sports physio, chiro, whatever the case is, they'll look at that stuff and i i from my experience a lot of time actually ends up hurting them more than helping them right so my you know my big thing is you know if for especially for barbell athletes i think you can get some good advice over the internet and you know some good tools and some good exercises you can you can try some stuff but you know use a very very um critical lens when you evaluate what you're looking at right so if it's Someone selling you the latest, greatest knees over toes program, right? Or if it's, if it's, you know, the latest, greatest treatment, you got to buy this ebook, whatever the case is, right. You know, the, the best thing generally for injuries or issues is, is movement and getting people moving as, as best as you possibly can. So if you can get someone, you know, doing, let's say, you know, I don't know, let's say you have an athlete that benches, right? And and they get pain with benching in the front of their shoulder and they have taken some time off. It's not getting much better. Well, just kind of take it very, very easy. You can start by doing a short range bench, right? You can start by doing a pin press. You can start by doing these different other things to allow yourself to gradually incorporate that movement. And your body's smart and your body's not stupid and it will eventually it will get better. Natural history is one of the best things to actually heal people, right? You can speed up that process of healing people by creating some easy movement that people can tolerate.
1: Okay. Um, you, you talked about different therapies and, and selling therapies and you know we know, we've heard of, you know, Graston and, and cupping. What does the research say about these techniques and, and how do they compare or drive what you do for athletes that come into your practice?
0: Sure. Um, You know, we're very kind of like I mentioned earlier, we're a very active clinic. Like if we can get someone moving, that's what we're going to do. We don't do a lot of passive treatments. They have their place, but you've got to understand what you're actually doing. Right. So like if you take, if you take Graston for instance, right. Um, You know, if it's Graston or if it's instrument assisted, or if you're using a butter knife to you know rub on someone, right. It's, there's no, there's no clinical evidence that I'm aware of that differentiate, differentiates the tools that you're using to do some soft tissue work. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, generally any of that stuff, the grass, um, the needling, needling's a little bit different, but the grass, the grass in the, the topping, you know, you get some soft tissue length immediately, which generally makes people feel better because they can help them move a little bit better. Right. Um, and a lot of people will, will use those techniques to potentially, create better movement and get people better they're generally inhibitory in nature meaning that you're decreasing muscle tone to then move but you know my biases kind of in the strength world is you want to any manual therapy that you do needs to be a little bit more facilitative from a neuromuscular standpoint meaning that you're increasing contractile ability of the tissues that you're working on so like you know if we take you for example when you came and saw me like you know, a lot. If if you would have went somewhere else, they probably wouldn't need your neck. They probably would have done some different stuff like that. You know, we didn't. You know, we tried to create an ability for you to move. As far as creating the muscles that were that were tight and, and inhibited because you were dealing with pain, we we got you out of that. Got them able to contract to then be able to do some exercise and got you on your on your road to recovery. So they have their role. I just think a lot of people overuse them. The unfortunately sell more treatment and create reliance on, on a Cairo or create reliance on a physio. And there's a lot of people, a lot of, especially physios that are starting to create their own clinics and they, they promote one-on-one treatment and, and not taking insurance, which all that stuff's great. But, but then they follow this model of creating dependence on them. And, and ultimately, if, if you're, if you're treating people, you want to create independence as best as you can. You don't want to make people see you all the time for for weeks and weeks and years and years.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, some, I see something similar, like in, you know, I do a lot of health coaching and nutrition coaching and and even, you know, one-on-one personal training, but I think the ultimate goal of any provider is to educate and have that client be able to be self-sufficient and then, you know, if they're like me, then they're like, well, got to come back because I didn't do what I needed to do on my own. Mm-hmm. Not that I didn't know sure. what to do, but I, you sure. know, I just didn't do it. So sure. <laughs> ultimately that, you know, keeps you a business. So, um, you know, I really appreciate that because I I do think there's a fine line between some of the passive techniques, but I do think that sometimes athletes kind of see things online or through social media and there's an instant relief. And Mm -hmm. they take that as kind of like the mechanism of action, right? Where Mm -hmm. I think the true goal of any, any like physical therapy program or, you know, strength program or anything is to like build capacity, not just Mm -hmm. seek temporary relief. Um, So I, you know, I appreciate that, but ultimately injuries are gonna happen in sport, Mm -hmm. right? Like we're gonna, at some point, face some sort of challenge or barrier, how do you as a physical therapist in your practice help an athlete remain motivated through that return to play process?
0: Sure. Um, I think that's, to be honest with you, I think that's what we're probably best at. I think we partially because of how we're set up, but partially based off of who I employ and, and the people we have here, we do the best job we possibly can of, of, of knowing that athlete. Right. So Um, let's say you have a high school athlete, you know, you learn what their grades are. You learn when you're doing treatment, you have conversations with them about who their friends are. And you get to learn about all the stuff that encompasses what's going on with their life because that stuff matters. and Now influence how people respond in certain treatments and that determines how people, how uh, quickly people recover, you know, deal with pain, that type of stuff. So I think, you know, as best as you can, understand the athlete, get to know them. You can then treat them a little bit better. So, um, because of the relationships that we build, I think people are generally very motivated to always see us, right? So um, you know, I think generally, if if you create a a a clinic or you create a treatment that's based off building self-confidence, whether that's from an exercise standpoint, whether that's just in general, People get better quicker and so a lot of what we do is just to help kids you know of any ages of of any sport just be more confident in their abilities be more confident in themselves because if they're able to do that they're gonna be able to get through whatever they're getting through eventually and be able to complete you know back at their sport
1: if you if you could share anything that you would want an athlete to know that maybe there's like some myths or misconceptions about the recovery process, about the rehab Mm -hmm. process that, you know, athletes come in and they have no idea that this is a part of the process. What might that be?
0: Yeah. um, Their daily life, their stresses, their anxiety, like, like you gotta everything, in my opinion, everything matters what, you know, when you, how much sleep you get, what your nutrition is like, all that stuff matters. So, you know, we see a lot of high school athletes here, you know, and these high school kids, you know, they have practices for a couple hours and then they go home and do homework and then they're dealing with stresses with friends or, or bullies or whatever the case is. And then they don't, they don't only get four hours of sleep or five hours of sleep, you know, all that stuff matters. So, you know, as best as you can try to, and this is easier said than done, but Try to control the stresses in your life, try to, you know, create really, really foundational healthy habits that are not just, you know, short term thing. That's a part of your life, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's creating this behavior change, you know, and luckily, you know, where we're at, we're able to attempt to do some of that. Not that, you know, we're big health education people here, but like we try to educate people as best as we can. So that they can get better as quickly as they possibly can. So I think control the things that you can control. Um, that that generally my would be my best advice. Get better sleep. Try to eat right. Um, surround yourself with good people. I would say that's that would be my main tips.
1: That that's really great advice. I think the one thing I'd add to it is there's no definite timeline um, to any type of injury like. Rehab. um, I think that was one thing that I struggled with early on when I, you know, was going through my you know, shoulder and my neck issues. I was like, "Okay, so is it going to be a week or two weeks or three weeks? <laughs> oh no, a month. Um mm-hmm. And so I think that there that that's one thing that could sometimes be a little demotivating is like not hold yourself to a specific timeline. But like you said, just as long as you're controlling all of the things that you can control, those are going to facilitate the the recovery process
0: yeah no and I think a lot of people struggle with that I think you know people go online they'll read oh I have I don't know tennis elbow and tennis elbow takes two to three months to heal and mine has been four months or five months is there something wrong with me do I need to go get an MRI that you start creating all these negative thoughts which then can spiral a little bit out of control and and lead to more kind of chronic issues which is what no one wants so you know the the if you control the things that you can control, people generally will get better much quicker than they would otherwise.
1: Good. Um, I think one other thing that I'm curious about is this relationship between athlete burnout and injury reoccurrence. Um, mm-hmm. I, I work with a lot of, you know, younger athletes, maybe newer to sport in general, um, and then there's this relationship between athletes just being demotivated because of this injury and like eventually leaving sport. Um, What advice would you give to athletes who may be experiencing this right now as far from a physical therapy standpoint?
0: Yeah, I think um, my first thing would, would be talk about it. Like, don't, don't show it in, like talk to your coaches about it. Talk to your parents about it. Talk to, you know, your physical therapist or your healthcare professional, about that because I think if everyone knows what's going on, we can better treat that issue. Right. A lot of people kind of hold that stuff in and then all of a sudden it's okay. I want to, I want to quit like randomly and and not everyone knows like the parents are blindsided. The coach is blindsided. You know, I think my, my hope is that most coaches generally have the interest in the kids, you know, at heart. And, you know, if, if like someone is struggling with that, you know, take a break. Like you can take a week and you don't need to practice four or five days a week. You don't need to be in the gym necessarily four or five, six days a week. You know, if you just take a break to reset, like you can come back feeling fresher and stronger than ever. Right. So um, I think the, the main thing for that is just be very open with it. And sometimes, it, you know, it can be a little bit embarrassing, but um, the, if you're open with it, people can help you. And if people can help you, then they can, and it's truly, if you are surrounded by good people, those people will make sure that you are doing the best thing for you, whether that's being continued continue to play the sport or not play the sport.
1: Thank you so much. I enjoyed this conversation. Um, where can people find you? Where can they connect with you and, and your team?
0: Sure. So we, um, you know, we're on Instagram at premier perform PT. Um, we have a website, www.premierppt.com. Um, we're based out of Longwood, Florida. So we see a lot of, you know, athletes out of Orlando. Uh, we do do some telehealth stuff occasionally, not often, but occasionally. Um, but yeah, mostly uh, Instagram and probably our website would be the main things. We do have a TikTok, but it hasn't blown up yet, so.
1: <laughs> no TikTok dances?
0: Yeah, not not yet. It, it's my, my employees want me to start doing the dances to get more patients, but um, I, I haven't been that desperate yet.
1: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Well, before I let you go, Um, this show is all about finding the detail, like the strength in, in the detail. So if you could share your one detail for how you, how, and when you feel the strongest, what would that be?
0: Um, oh gosh. Um, I think being confident in your abilities, I think is would be my answer to that. So being confident in in what you're doing, being confident And in the sport that you're participating in, if you if you have good confidence and it's true confidence, I think you'll excel at whatever you're doing.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to seeing you soon, actually.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sounds good. Can't wait.
1: Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Strength in the Details. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. Follow us on Instagram at Strength in the Details for more information on future episodes and guests. Also, drop us a note. Let us know what topics you'd like to hear. You can support the podcast by liking and sharing content on social media or subscribing to the YouTube channel for free. You could visit the link in the bio, Strength in the Details, to donate to production costs or visit coachingkilos.com forward slash shop for new merch and represent Strength in the Details in the gym or on the go. Thanks so much for listening and we will chat again soon. Until next time, may your squats be strong and your lifts be big. Here's to going beyond the reps and getting to the strength in the details.